This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. Voluntary principle states that all human relations should happen by mutual consent or not at all. This podcast aims to promote respect for the voluntary principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Everything Voluntary. Do you want to know how to achieve a free society? Then read my second book, Toward a Free Society, a short guide on building a culture of liberty. You may download the book for free at everythingvoluntary.com or purchase it in paperback at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Uh, Before we start the episode, I want to invite you to join me as a featured guest. I'd love to chat and get to know you and give you this platform to bounce your ideas around. To schedule, go to the main website at everythingvoluntary.com. On the right-hand side, there's a link to schedule with me immediately. Click that link, select a day and time, answer the questions, and submit. That's all it takes. Thank you so much. Uh, all right. Well, uh, Ms. Carlson, you want me to call you Lauren or Ms. Carlson? or Lauren, please. Lauren, yes. please. Okay. Well, I'm Skylar. It's nice to meet you. You found my podcast through an online service that I guess connects people. I haven't been on that service right. for very long. You're actually the first person I've talked to. I have a couple of other guests that scheduled through their scheduled. One of them I had to push down because I wasn't feeling well. So you're my okay. first. <laughs> so welcome. Excellent. Great. Thank you. And um, so, yeah, you reached out and you, um, I guess you're an author and you've got some pretty interesting books, I would say, kind of right up my alley, um, which center on the idea of consent as it concerns, um, well, it might concern more than this, but at least at least this as it concerns bodily autonomy, um, your body you know, what you do with it, how, what other people do with it, <laughs> and not just for right. adults, but also for kids. And this is something that right. has been pretty important to me um, as a as a parent, I guess, for a while. It's It's been important to me as an adult, um, uh, politically and whatnot. And it wasn't until I had kids that I really started to think about how I wanted to raise them. And, and unfortunately, for the first five years of my son's life, we used things like corporal punishment and, and you know, pretty mainstream stuff like that until I decided that that was not the right thing to do and then, and then switched. So, um, but tell me about yourself. What, what is it that got you interested in writing about this? Um, so, uh, I am very vocal about being, uh, the victim of assault and, um, but I, for the first 10 years, I was very quiet about it. And I, um, my, my family knew and my husband knew, but I, I didn't bring it up and I saw counselors when I thought I needed to, and then I would be okay for a while. But, um, I was always working through how I could be a parent and also how this event and this trauma would affect me as a parent. So, um, even before, long before my husband and I had children, we talked about how we were going to raise strong girls and sensitive boys, because the world does so much of the opposite to mm-hmm. that, that um, we were, it was important to us. But 
as I had girls, I, I have a, we had a son first and he is the most sensitive of our family, which I love about him. And, um, when I had girls, it all of a sudden was, how do you protect them? And that always really bothered me because I was very good at protecting myself. I'm a strong girl. And I had a really big problem with no one asked how I was protecting my son, but also how I was raising him to not need other girls to be protected. No one asked me, how are you raising your son to be a good human instead of how are you raising your girls to, to protect themselves? So it was something that I always thought was a real disconnect in that we should be teaching our boys to be respectful rather than, and it's not just boys, but rather than focusing so much on how we should teach our girls to protect ourselves. So I decided to write books on consent and how we can raise a generation to never need to those types of lessons. We don't have to raise a generation of people who know how to carry mace if we raise people who know how to keep their hands off each other. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a, that's a fantastic point. Let's back up a little here. So you've got three kids, I understand? Correct. And you had sent me your most recent book, um, which is, uh, it's aimed for parents, uh, Raising Kids to right. Understand Consent. Correct. And I was just reading the the about the author at the back, and it says that you're in the uh, Chicago area, northwest suburbs of Chicago. Yes. yes. Okay. I'm familiar with Chicago. My wife has family there. Um, we've been there maybe five or six times. Um, it's always interesting, I guess. <laughs> um, I, I imagine it's pretty. It's it's been interesting the last few months. It, yes, certainly has been, and it's different. I grew up in Texas. I grew up in a not a small town, but um, a small town feel where um, I remember one time driving my mom's Camaro when she was out of town and suddenly got a call from her uh, saying someone had seen her car and they knew it was me. So that's, I, even though it wasn't, it wasn't a small town, it was certainly a small town feel where everyone knew everyone. And, um, and I kind of felt kind of um, like protected because everyone did know who I was. It wasn't, um, I definitely didn't have to worry about where I was walking. Yeah. So, um, so it was uh, a sheltered to say the least, but not to the fault of my parents. It was just where we came from. I graduated with a class of 52. So everyone knew everything that everyone had done since second grade. <laughs> yeah. So um, it definitely was a strange um, now I don't live anywhere close to the city here in Chicago, but it's, um, it has taken some growing up and even in my twenties for me to see a lot more of the world <laughs> or at least of, of these parts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you there. I, um, so from the ages of two to five, so, so I'm in Salt Lake city now, and this is where I was born when I was two years old. Uh, our family moved to Dallas and we lived there for five years. And then when I was seven, we moved back to Salt Lake and I've lived here ever since. And it wasn't until, I met my my wife and she had family in Chicago. So we did a road trip to Chicago to meet her family. And I actually proposed to her on the way back. But just entering a place like that, having grown up in such a small place like Salt Lake City. Right. It was just such a, 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 a very foreign experience for me. And when we got in, right. we came in from the south side. 
And so I'm uh-huh. driving through and just seeing black people everywhere. I'm not used to this at oh, all. Yeah. You know? Right. Exactly. And it was just and, like you see in you... movies, like where they're playing basketball and they're walking across the street and they're <laughs> hanging out their windows. And it was just, I just wanted to take it all in as we're driving through, but I'm just like yeah. s- realizing I'm staring at everybody, you know? Right. Um, it's definitely yeah. a different, um, well, I actually remember the first time I drove through Dallas. So just to give you perspective, I remember being 21 driving through Dallas my first time thinking how are this many people on the road it scared it scared the crap out of me and I was 21 I could not believe it then we ended up living in Dallas my husband and I lived in Dallas for five years um, after we were married so now I'm very familiar with it but I remember thinking I'm never going to be able to drive here so it was um yeah. So coming to Chicago, I don't like to go to the city. I do it every once in a while and I have to do it by myself. And it's, it's a little better now with GPS, but it's, um, it's definitely a, a different, a whole different perspective being, being there than even just here, you know, there's horses across the street where I am. <laughs> well, yeah, you must be pretty far out there then. We, we are, we're, um, my husband works way out here, so we don't have to go to the city. I think, the furthest I've been out from Chicago, not coming in off of Interstate 80, but just being in the area is probably like the Warner Robins area is probably the furthest um, west I've been. But otherwise, um, it's mostly like the Cicero area, which is really close to, to downtowns. So, yeah. 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 We're, um, we're a good 45 minutes out from O'Hare. Okay. Yeah. We're, yeah. So I'm close. I'm probably closer to Wisconsin than I am to Chicago. Yeah, and I know, um, yeah, you're probably closer to, like, Kenosha, right? Isn't that right there? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's uh, had some interesting things happen the last few months as well. Um, Yes. So, um, okay, so it sounds like everybody's healthy there. (laughs) We are, yes. (laughs) What what is, I don't know what Illinois is doing right now as far as lockdowns and all that stuff, but how, how back to normal are things? Are they going back into lockdowns? I'm just curious. So um, my kids are actually in private school, so they have been in school since August. It's a very small school, so um, they have only had one case, and it was a teacher who had COVID, and no one else got it. And it's actually my son's teacher, so uh, it was very scary at first. And then knowing that no one else got it, they were home for one day, and the teacher quarantined for 14 days. But um, I know that um, a lot of other places are not back to normal. We, um, I mean, I still feel very much like everything's shut down. I have no idea if restaurants are open. I haven't been to a restaurant in what feels like a year. I have no idea, but, um, it is a definite new normal where I don't even feel like it's strange anymore, which is (laughs) weird. I haven't taken my children to the grocery store with me since March. So I have no idea. That's probably nice. Though, but right. It, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But man, I, uh, there's the chances of me being away from all three kids is very rare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The little one's not in school. She's with me all the time. So she, um, she notices, she misses going to the gym. She misses having, um, she calls the gym EIAO because it's right next to a barn. And that's like old McDonald's. So she just said, sometimes randomly says, I really miss the yeah, yeah, yo. I'm like, oh, yeah, me too, honey. <laughs> too, too. It was kind of like her preschool. So we do miss that. 
but um, I don't know when when that will will be opened. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, probably so. My my kids don't go to school, um, so we haven't had to deal with any of that stuff. But um, when stuff did get shut down, my my daughter had a couple of classes. She had like an acting class and a singing class and an art class, and all that got right put online, which. She's on the computer so much that was kind of her escape from the digital world. Right, and so she right. didn't want to, she didn't want to do that. And so she hasn't done that. Um, but my, my uh, five-year-old just to hear, you know, cause her, with her thing, it was, you know, having friends come over or whatnot. And that, that kind of stopped and it's kind of heartbreaking. Cause they, when they, when they ask questions about doing things, they always, she'll say like, she'll, she'll have this idea that she wants to do something <laughs> And it's like, oh, we can't do that right now. And, and she, and then she'll switch gears and she'll say, oh no, I mean when coronavirus is over. And it's right. like, oh my, my god, when is this going to be thing. over? Yeah, my kids do the same thing. My son just, um, my son is ten, and um, he is the most realistic one here. So he's the type who says, I don't know if it's too much money, but here's what I want for Christmas. Like he's very realistic and very grounded. So. Um, he says, can we, uh, you know, here, can go trick-or-treating with my friends tonight? And I said, okay, but, you know, you have to wear your mask. And he said, oh, yeah, it's still corona. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is weird because they deal with it every day in school. They wear their mask and they eat lunch eat, uh, at their desk. And uh, so a lot of the rules for them, I don't know how he could possibly forget. It was just he was so excited about Halloween, I guess. But well, yeah, yes, it was probably just are... just the memories of Halloween's past, and right, you're thinking it's going to be the same, and so you right. yeah you forget that there's this this small change, and yeah, yeah that's crazy. I have no idea. I have no idea what it's going to be like to think of his fourth grade and fifth grade year. This is what his his memories are going to be. It's very strange to I think about that a lot. How much is mentally this going to change? Uh, the the fabric of the being of my children and and especially my son because like I said he is the sensitive one um, and my my youngest won't probably won't remember it and my middle she's not quite sure she's a part of our family she, she's a teenager even as an eight year old so I don't know about her but my but my son I definitely think about that a lot what will this do to what he thinks about things and his expectations of life. Even being a ten-year-old, yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, the closest thing that I've had in my life to this, besides this, would be nine eleven. I mean, I was right, I was exactly. a senior in high school when that happened, and that was so was I. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, yeah, I re, I re, let me tell you that story, and you can tell me yours. Um, yeah, I remember because so I was I was driving. I was a senior. My brother was a sophomore, and he had a friend. So, and I had my own car, so we would stop at his friend's house and pick him up. And then on the way to the school, he was telling us that a plane ran into a building in New York. And we thought, oh my gosh, that's crazy. What what idiot would crash into a plane? Like you got to be a pretty idiot pilot. And he's like, well, and it wasn't just one. It happened a second time. And we said, and then we're like, okay, how how did two idiots crash into the plane? Like it wasn't even on our mind that this was any sort of aggressive attack. It was just... right. And then um, what I'm thinking of is just a small little puddle jumper or something like that that just crashed into a building. It wasn't like these big airliners. And then you get to school and all the TVs are on to the to CNN or whatever. And the whole day it was just watching the TV, moving to the next class, watching the TV. Nothing else was going on. So that's 
That's right. what it was for me. What about you? So I, um, we, we were in Texas, so I was actually already at school when it happened. So, um, it was a little bit like they made an announcement on, on the TV or on the loudspeaker. And so we turned it on and, and exactly like you, I thought, how could a plane run into a building? That's crazy. But having no idea, I didn't even know what the word terrorist meant. So there's no way that I had any idea. I don't know how many times a high schooler had said the word terrorist before 9-11. I mean, I would say I've never said it before then. So to think this is crazy and then to watch it and we're like, how is this? What are, why are we even watching it? I, I had no idea why we were still watching it. And then a second plane hit. So we were actually already watching when they, we didn't see it, but then they said, and now a second plane is hit. And I said, oh, well, that's, that's probably not an accident, <laughs> but I'm still uh-huh. thinking, how is that happening? Yeah. I had no idea. Probably. For three days, what what do you mean a terrorist? I don't understand that. Now my son, you know, the, it was a part of their um, their fifth grade social studies or history. Um, they had to talk to their parents about where their parents were when 9-11 happened. And I remember explaining it to him how I didn't know what a terrorist was. And he said, that's so silly. Like, and he's 10. How would he know what a terrorist is? Of course, you know. He said, what do you mean you were watching it and thought it was an accident? So we actually watched some of the videos he and I together of just here's what it looked like. He said, you know, I bet, I bet it was a lot when the building fell. I said, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said, honey, it was like, <laughs> you know, it's like covered an entire city. He doesn't have any, any reference point for that at all, yeah. but watching it with him. Oh, so I have no idea what it's like for it to be a year, but I guess for us, if you really look back, we were scared for years and years. Well, I don't, I don't think it was anything like this just because it didn't didn't really change anything in our day-to-day lives. It was this happened, what's going on. I felt like it did because, um, I mean, I was very much more aware of going into large groups. Uh, my sister graduated college that year from the university of Texas. She was actually, um, well, president, George W. Bush's daughter was at UT at the same time Hmm. and she was graduating. And so there was talk of maybe he would be there. And my mom told my sister, you can't go. You can't go to your college graduation because if there's going to be another attack, it'll be there because UT is the biggest school in Texas. Uh, It's one of the largest in the country. And our president's daughter is there. Where else would there be about a second attack? than that so for us it still was very much um and all the time okay you know you don't go to that football game or i flew the following 9-11 on the first at um and i i was i I don't know how i got on that plane really it really did change maybe it was just i'm so naive before that that then this was the first time anyone had ever done anything to me even though it didn't happen to me yeah but it really changed i grew up that day a lot yeah yeah well okay yeah it definitely sounds like you had a very different experience after the fact than I did um, because of that connection. That's, that's interesting that there's that connection there to George Bush. Um, Yeah. For me, it was, it was just, yeah. I mean, I wasn't like worried about going anywhere. We didn't have any, you know, it's Salt Lake city, small little town. I mean, why would anybody attack us? There wasn't, there wasn't that fear at all. And it was really just paying attention to the news on what's going on with 
you know, starting a war in Afghanistan and then, and then Iraq and, right. you know, what, what does Iraq have to do with this? And, you know, just that <laughs> yeah. weirdness. And I was, you know, becoming, becoming a bit more politically aware, you know, turning 19, 20, that sort of stuff at that time. But yeah. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So um, let's talk about, so is this um, children's book, is this your first book of the series? So um, it is my first book that I have published with the intent of selling to parents. I've actually written workbooks that are intended to be used in schools Mm -hmm. to teach respect and consent. Um, And then COVID happened. So schools (laughs) no longer existed for a while. Um, So I actually have a workbook series of six books that um, I intended to market to schools. And then um, that was placed on a a back burner. Um, And I had always thought the that book, um, My Body is My Own, the children's book, is actually, um, those are my paintings. I'm the artist also. Okay. So, um, so I had always thought that I would do that. Then I had some parents reach out to me and say that they had bought the workbook series and they didn't know the answers to the questions. So I said, well, yeah, because there's a teacher manual, but they didn't want to buy that too, which I completely understand. Because it was meant to be taught in your schools. So that's when then I put together the um, parents book, which is then to guide a conversation with parents and children. Um, So it actually combines all of the workbook lessons and it's broken down by grade level or by age Mm -hmm. so that a parent can go and read it. And if they have a five-year-old and that's it, they can read that section and go to the next chapter and read that section and I, what I hope is that parents would then keep it and in three years read how you're supposed to be talking to a nine-year-old about it or how you're supposed to um, and, and keep it and, and go back when you have a new child and look at the examples so that it's a conversation that's always happening and not just one big talk. I think that the consent talk a lot gets grouped in with the sex talk where you just think you have to have it once and then And then your kid knows it. (laughs) But I think it can be something that really changes the way you parent rather than how your your child knows about consent. So that's what I'm hoping. So I've got the um, the children's one, the illustrated pulled up here on Amazon. And and I I actually wanted to just uh, purchase it here (laughs) while I was talking to (laughs) you. Um, Yeah, I'm just going to hit buy now uh, for the paperback because I think this would be really, really cool to have. there we go. Check out. And then, yeah, if I look at your author page, I can see those workbooks as well as the teacher right. editions. And then, right. and then right at the beginning of that, you've got the, the parent. So the, the, the kids one is uh, my body is my own. And of course I'll link to this. And then the, the parent one is raising kids to understand consent. Right. So I've also got that pulled up and I was just kind of looking through it and stuff. So you've got, uh, where's the table of contents? Uh, there we go. So I like how um, you've got, so you got chapter two and then you've got the different ages, like you say, and then you got chapter three and chapter two is setting boundaries and chapter three is respecting boundaries. And I like that you're, uh, you're tackling this from both sides because right. they're equally important. I think that not only that you learn to keep your hands to yourself, but you also learn um, when other people should keep their hands to themselves. Right. Exactly. And with kids, probably one of the the worst aspects in our cult, well, the culture I grew up in, I'm not going <laughs> to say this is, you know, everywhere in the U.S. Um, I don't know that it's 
I don't know how, how far and wide it is. I think it's pretty far and wide, but just this idea that kids can be handled at the will and the whim of whatever adult is around. Right. Right. And, and, right. and kind of an added, added thing to that, like drives me crazy whenever a kid is like forced to, to give affection, like a hug or a kiss to some family member. And there's this expectation right. that if you don't, then it's disrespectful. That drives right. me crazy. <laughs> right. So. And, you know, I feel like 30 year olds are the first people in the world to understand that. Like, can you ever imagine any of our parents saying, no, no, she doesn't have to hug you. I can't. And my parents raised us to know that our opinions were very important. I actually got in trouble with some of my parents' friends a lot. Um, because I did speak to them like I thought I was an adult. Now that probably came off like I was a brat, <laughs> but my parents did teach us we were important. And so, but I, but they would never have said that. Of course you have to hug someone, even if they're creepy. So it is so strange that everyone now who is our age, I feel like they all are very aware. You Don't make your kid hug someone. How weird is that? Why are we making people hug each other? But it was something that is, in my mind, very new, that 20 years ago, parents would, like you said, thought that was extremely disrespectful. And it seems like the most basic understanding of, of giving people the right to control their own body, that I don't understand why it's so hard or why it took so long for parents, sorry, for parents to understand that that was important. Yeah, yeah. It- um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, you know, as a kid, you're like, uh, you know, uh, I hate this. I don't, I don't like this, but you do it. Um, right. and I don't, I don't know, you, maybe you felt differently about it, but yeah, just, just as, as an adult, I have kids and I've totally changing my whole paradigm about this. That was just one of those things where it's like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And the other thing too, right. um, that we decided at some point was on the, on the, on the, um, on the practice, the practice, the practice of eating, right? Like you, you give them food and then you make them finish it or, you know, you're, you're going to threaten them <laughs> or do something to get them to finish it, even though they say, you know, I'm not hungry anymore. Right. Um, I don't know if that's, that's a, a topic that you've. That's exactly, that's another, <laughs> that's one of those things that my husband and I talked about so much as we first had kids. Um, I don't understand finishing a food. And I go even further than than a lot of other parents. And I know a lot of people who make dinner and they this is what we're having. And and I feel like no adult does that at a restaurant. Adults get to order their own. If you want your sauce on the side, then you get it on the side. I don't feel like that is someone being being overly picky. I, I am happy to keep my son's food this way. And he puts his sauce on the side and then dips it in himself. I feel like that's how I would order something. I felt like it. And so why are we not allowing our children? He's eating the same vegetables and he'll eat all of his peas, but I'm not going to make him mush it all together if he doesn't want it. (laughs) I feel like it's just human. If you treat your children like they're not trying to scam you and you understand that their feelings are important, then sure, you can have you can have your taco with your meat over here and your tortilla over here if you want to eat them separate. That's fine. I don't really care. Yeah. I um, Are you, have you ever looked at to, into like hunter gatherer studies or anybody talking about parenting practices among hunter gatherers? Is that? No. That's something that I always look to whenever, whenever I, I'm thinking about how 
we as humans should do things, whether it's our diets or exercise or, you know, what what could we talk about as far as like what are some of our needs and, and where do those needs come from? I like to look at our evolution as a species and I like to look at hunter-gatherer societies and how do they do things. And I don't, I don't, to my knowledge, none of them, none of them use any sort of punishment techniques. None of them force feed kids. Uh, in fact, kids are pretty much left alone to do whatever they want to do all day long. They run around and play until they're, you know, 15, 16, and then they start going out with the adults to do what the adults do, you know, hunt and gather. Right. And so it's always interesting to see what do we know about how these people and these societies do things. And, you know, maybe that's the way we should be going on some of this stuff. But yeah, the idea of, and I, and I've said this before, you wouldn't know this, but I've said this before that I think that probably one of humanity's biggest mistakes is, was the agricultural revolution because it introduced to humanity hard labor and that scooped up kids into hard labor. And with hard labor that people don't really want to do, especially kids, the only way to get them to do it is to is to threaten and to punish if they don't. Right. And so with with agriculture came this this hard work, which came, you know, child labor and uh, child punishment and that, that sort of stuff. And I think it was at that point that we started looking at, at kids not as individuals, as humans with dignity and with with rights, if we want to say that, but just as means to an end. Right. They're they're workers. Right. <laughs> And, right. and they, they just have to do what the adults tell them. They don't, the, and this drives me crazy. My brother is this way with his kids that, and he says this, that, that and, until, until a kid is an adult, they're just a ward, you know, a ward of him and whatever he wants to happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they even have to like ask him uh, if they can eat, you know, open the fridge and find something to eat. Like, like it's crazy. I didn't even know that was happening. Um, until, you know, they were sleeping over and they were asking us and we're like, of course you can open the fridge if you're hungry, you know, just find something to eat. It's fine. And they were like, oh, well, we have to ask at our house. And I'm like, Are and it's weird because it's like, we weren't raised that way. So why is my brother doing that? I don't right. know what it is, but anyway, just that you know, idea. My, yeah, go ahead. My kids actually ask if they can go and eat something, but I don't make them. <laughs> it's fun. But sometimes my kid, my, my daughter will come and say, can I go to the bathroom? And I'm like, well, yeah. Yes, <laughs> of course you can go to the bat. You're eight, so you should just go. <laughs> but I, I feel like also they're very aware that, you know, we just talk about things because I ask them, can I, like, they're Halloween. I just ask, hey, can I have a Kit Kat bar? He's not going to notice. But I still think it's just respectful. And so we just ask each other and maybe other people are like, what are you raising? We just eat it. It's your candy. No, I didn't. I asked him because I do think his feelings are important. And like you said, when until they're 18, but before they're 18 or before they're adults, you're forming the type of adult they're going to be. So why don't you want them to be a good one? No, that, that's exactly it. And, and something else that I've said um, before is, we're not raising kids. We're raising adults. Right. So let's exactly. raise them to, to be and to behave like the adults are going to be. So I don't I don't force my kids pretty much to do anything. If I want them, if I want them to do something, whether it's going with us somewhere or whatever, it's a negotiation. I'll negotiate because right. that's what adults do. If adults want other adults to do things, it's a negotiation. It may involve right. money. It may not. It may involve something else. But 
Um, but I, I think, yeah, like you mentioned, your kids are always asking and it's, it's because that's behavior you've modeled by always asking right. them. That's right. more organic and, and healthier than just, you know, these sort of strict rules that, that you find in some households, but. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I, yeah, it's, I don't know. In my opinion, I think, I think that, um, I don't know. Are you familiar with Robin Grill? He's a, an no. Australian psychologist. He wrote this book. Um, I can send you a link, but it's it's on Amazon. It's called Peace. It's called Parenting for a Peaceful World. Okay. And it'll actually reading the first half of it. It'll probably break your heart because he chronicles all the way that all the ways that children have been mistreated throughout the ages of the of humanity and our history. And <clears throat> obviously, things are a lot better now than they used to be. Right. But just just reading through that, and then you know he gets into you know peaceful parenting practices and all that. It's it's really a, a magnum opus of his. Um, actually, anyway, I got it on my shelf, but that's fine. Um, I'll, yeah, it's just on Amazon. I'll send you a link, but and I'll I'll link to it in the show notes here. But it's just um, where was I going with that? <laughs> that train got derailed. <laughs> I just went blank. Don't you hate it when that happens? I do. Yeah. Especially anyway. when I know my point was going to be amazing. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe that's the point I was going to tell you. It's just, it, it just chronicles how children were treated. Oh, oh, I remember where I was going with that. Um, the big, the big point, um, at really the thesis of the overall book is that the roots of human violence are in childhood and it's in childhood right. trauma. The reason, the reason people feel that they that they need to use violence and they feel that rage that boils up when they're not getting their way when their needs aren't being met is because they're broken and they're broken because of trauma that they've suffered as children. Right. Um and that's something I've had to work on for myself and based on your bio I think you have too. Right. And so that's 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 been a big thing for me. Something I try to talk about all the time is just I mean you may not know what you should do instead of punishing your kids or hitting your kids, you may not know what to do instead to get them to do what you want, but you can't right. just stop hitting them. <laughs> just stop doing it. And then let's figure right. out what to do instead. So, Right. Right. Um, yeah. I, I heard um, something, I'm sure someone important said it and I just don't know who did it, but I've been requoting it for years that hurt people, hurt people. And um Yes, people who are um, experience trauma, especially as a child, and and their brain development is different because of it. Um, those are are people who a lot of times go and um, and and hurt people and don't understand. Um, sometimes it's a need to gain back the control that they lost, and it's sad that we don't, as parents, we don't realize that all of those things that we're saying to them and all the things that we're doing to them or not doing are, are the, are the reasons that then we're going to punish them more later because they're not acting in the certain way that we want them to. Yeah. So, um, let me ask you this. When I, me and my wife got married and my wife, my wife is, is Mexican. She's a Mexican immigrant and she grew up with three other sisters and her, the way she was raised, there was, there was, it sounds to me like there was really no need for punishment, right? They were just really good and in helping out around the house and doing whatever. And right. it was all very sweet. And her parents were very sweet. It was just one of those families. But just in that, 
just overall in that culture, there's much more um, family cohesiveness, especially multi-generational, as well as children just kind of in general seem to me from what I witnessed having having gone there a couple of times with her back to Mexico City and just seeing how, you know, the, the kids in her extended family are treated. It just seemed in general a lot more respectful than what I was used to. Um, anyway, right. so we get married and, you know, we have our first kid, our son, and I'm, I'm like changing her. I'm like convincing her that he needs to be spanked or put in timeout for these things, you know, pooping uh-huh. his pants or whatever when he's potty training or whatever. Right. And, and, and it was me changing her to become more that way, but it was, it was difficult for her because she didn't have that inner, that inner brokenness, that inner rage to channel, you know right. what I mean? <laughs> She never saw a need for it she, because she didn't see it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't. She wasn't broken in the same way I was, I would say. Um, <laughs> but she she did kind of come around at, at, at my pushing her to. And then, you know, I changed my mind about all that and did this 180 and we went the other direction. So um, I don't know. It was just so. So what I was going to ask you was, it, it, how has your husband been along with all of this? How was he raised um, compared to you and and what's going on there? So um, I married a um, into a very Midwestern family um, where they don't talk about a lot and um, emotions are not important or or they just shouldn't happen. And um, they didn't have girls. He just has one brother. And I think that that especially he just didn't really know how to to deal with emotions because you just if you just don't ever have to talk about them, then you can just pretend like they're not there. So for me, when we had our son, um, I would like to say I'm, I was always kind of a peaceful parent, but um, but I definitely read books to make sure that I could uh, keep up with some of the things I had no idea about. But talking to him about the feelings of our child before getting mad at them. That was something that was very new for him. You know, when I say, uh, when I go to a child and they're doing something, I am, I, I like to ask what's causing them to do it, not why are you doing that? So I will routinely say, what's holding you back from, from doing this, whatever it is, what's holding you back from getting in the shower? Because we, we fight over that a lot. My mm-hmm. <laughs> my son is wonderful in a million ways. Doesn't like to shower. What's holding you back? And he says, "What's well, wrong with like kids this? and not liking to shower? I love showering. Right. This is the best part of my Shower- day. Come on, showering and naps are like. <laughs> why would you never want to do all of those things? Are the best things in life. You'll realize it. So um, for me, that was hard to get him to say, "No, no, they're people." Nope, they're just little people. And you know what? They're probably more frustrated than you are because they don't have the power here as you do. You want to have have pizza for dinner and then we'll have pizza for dinner. They want to have pizza for dinner. And I will say, no, sorry, we're having tacos or whatever, which still sounds like a great plan. <laughs> but but um, so I said they're people and they also have less power. You all your whole job is to make them feel like you care about their feelings. That's your whole job. And they will grow up and be respectful and, and know that they are seen and heard. Um, there was one one time I can think of where um, I kind of just let my kids do a lot of the things, even if I think they might get hurt. Like they're not jumping off the roof, but um, 
But if they're going to jump on something and I could tell them to stop, but I also feel like, you know what, they'll probably figure that one out. And so I'm not letting them play with knives, but I also do kind of just let some of those things take their course and there's three of them. So someone's going to get hurt and, and then the game will stop. And so um, they were wrestling and our youngest, so she was three or still is three. She fell down the stairs. And the other two rushed to her and, oh my goodness. And I could tell that, I could tell by her cry that she was um, scared, but not hurt. I think she was um, just more, how could that happen? And, um, and my husband ran over and he was, his first reaction was, how could you guys be playing there? And and no, no, first, you know, I heard them playing on the stairs. I could have stopped it if I wanted to, but I made the parenting choice that, you know what, they're, they, and they didn't, she didn't fall like at first or anything, but, um, but his first choice was to be angry. And I, and I can see how, how that, um, you know, a lot of parents would say you should know better. No, they don't know better. They're eight and they're, they're just children. My, your first reaction, pick her up and, and make sure she's Okay. And also comfort the other kids because now they think they're going to be in trouble. So, you know, that's how I think that if, if we're all just just give them a hug, that's what timeouts to me. You know, we don't we don't do traditional timeouts, but I will say, you know what? Why don't you just go sit by yourself for a minute? It's more of like a cool down. Why don't you just stop what you're doing and cool down and then let's come and talk about it. Or um, but sometimes it's really just let's just sit. Why don't you just sit on my lap? a little bit because you're clearly having trouble in some way and you don't know how to communicate that to me and that's okay I have spent years and years talking about feelings way too many if you ask my husband so um yeah they they don't know how to communicate those things and and that's okay I don't feel like that's a punishment a lot of what my kids are doing is just because they don't know how to express what they're actually feeling. You know, it, it, it sounds like maybe your husband in that moment was projecting a little and he was maybe using one of his parents' voices because he, he probably would, would do, do something either accidentally or he was doing something stupid. He maybe shouldn't have or, or just, just, just a regular, you know, innocent accident. And he was spoken at in that way, which is, is kind of a shame-inducing Right. Right. And so that now that's coming out in him and he's just he's he's just kind of speaking in, right. in that voice. Well, well, and I think he was actually angry at himself for not stopping it before someone hurt. Right. So, yeah. So he's feeling a little bit of shame, too. And, so, and he doesn't like right. his shame. So he wants them to feel shame to pass it on. I don't know. Right. There's so much psychology right. behind he's it. Mad. but Right. So he's mad that someone got hurt, which, oh, I understand. I don't want anyone to get hurt. But I also not. Uh, I I could have stopped it and I didn't, but that was my choice. I still stand by that. No one got, I mean, guess what? They've never played up there again. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't, I don't, no one broke their arm and they know not to play by the stairs. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't want, that's not a parenting, it's not parenting advice. Definitely don't follow that. I'm just saying it seemed to work. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think that we should bubble wrap our kids at all. I don't think that we should helicopter. Right. We've got to let them take risks. I think that's very right. important in building self-confidence is taking risks. 
Right. And as long as they're not, you know, creating a hospital bill for me, I think it's okay that they get right. hurt. You know, you kind of want them to get right. hurt. That's how they learn. Right. So something I learned and I have talked to my parents that has taken me um, about a decade to really say to them is that um, when I was growing up in this small town where everyone knew who I was and I felt very taken care of, I kind of felt invincible in a way. Like if something happened, don't worry, because my mom would just come right behind me and fix it, which is a lovely feeling, except when something happened to me when I was assaulted and no one could fix it. And that was very strange to me. And I thought that um, I didn't really worry so much about my surroundings or about what was happening to me because I did feel very much like, well, it's really fine because we can fix everything. Everything can be fixed. And so I do kind of wish my parents had let me fail a little more or at least see some of the dangers that were out there because I didn't know that there was an option of something out there that would be too much to fix until it happened. And I've said that to my, to my dad, it's one of the things he wishes he had changed about the way he parented is that I was told I was an adult and like, we can fix everything and don't worry. And that's a comforting feeling, but there are things that happen that can't be fixed. And I wasn't aware of that. Even at 21, I didn't know. So yeah, let your kids fall down, let them break your arm. I mean, (laughs) don't do it for them, but uh, you know, let, Sometimes there are choices that you make and there are bad things that happen. And maybe if I had been shown a few more of those examples that then I would have taken more precaution or I don't, I don't know what I would have done, but at least I wouldn't have been so shocked by the fact that something happened that I couldn't fix. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's an easy way to create a false sense of security when you do have somebody always there, a guardian angel, as it were, you know, that's a parent that's always keeping you out of trouble and keeping you from getting hurt and keeping you from dealing with, with difficult problems. And it's not, it's not so much keeping from getting hurt, but like a lot of times it's like they're struggling with something and the parent comes over and does it for them. It's like, let them struggle for a minute. If they come and ask you for (laughs) help, then you want to be helpful. Um, anyway, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting um, being a parent and, you know, doing what I can to, to study and to read, you know, a bunch of different people and, and how, how to do things. Um, one book I really like is called Playful Parenting by Lawrence, Lawrence Cohen, I think his name is. Okay. That one's really good because it's, it's just all about how you can turn pretty much any, any situation into, into uh, something that, that can become playful. Right. And, right. and it really, you know, when, when there is contention between kids or a kid, a kid is having a hard time or this or that, um, he gives a lot of really good advice on, you know, and it, and I think it does take kind of a having kind of a, a goofy playfulness personality. So I don't know that it works for everybody because there's a lot of people that just aren't that way. <laughs> my wife, my wife is kind of not that way. I'm, I'm more <laughs> the, the playful one. Right. Um, and she's, she's more the, the sensitive, get down and and be sweet and give huggies and, and kisses and really kind of kind of that nurturing one, um, which I've, you know, right. I've, I've learned a lot about doing that and being that way. Um, but it's crazy. And then our kids grow up and, and then we're like, okay, well, now that we know how to do it, give us some grandkids so that we can 
continue it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, um, I definitely have, I, I, it's hard to believe that I've only been a parent for 10 years because I feel like it's been my whole life. And in reality, it's a third of, you know, I had two lifetimes before that, but, um, Really, I I feel like people who don't spend enough time thinking about what they're doing, it's it's crazy because it's it's all I do and it's all I think about and trying to help other people raise their children and um and yeah understanding that that in ten years these are the adults you know these are the the kids who will be dating and finding someone they will marry possibly and ha- and having kids it's it's uh it's not that far away yeah yeah tell me about it my my oldest is he just turned 15 and so we've started driving lessons we've Ooh. just had one session in a parking lot kind of letting him idle around and i let him get up to 10 miles an hour <laughs> about a 20 minute <laughs> session and you know and then and then he drove from there drove to the house um I actually asked him today. He was busy with something. I was like, "Hey, man, I, I, you know, I got ready for the day kind of early, so I got some time. Do you want to go drive around the neighborhood?" And he, and he was already into something, so he didn't take me up on it. But yeah, there's that, and then you know, that I guess the next thing for him would probably be finding a job or something because he's he definitely wants to do that. He's been saving money to build a PC, right? But he's he's um. Our relationship now is much better than it was back when, you know, I was spanking him and stuff. So he was five years old when I stopped doing that. And then with my other two, my daughters, they've, they've never had to deal with any of that. And so they're, they won't, they, I don't know. Um, I'll be, I'll be there to help him if, you know, if it is something he's got to work through when he's older, if he feels like he needs to work through it, which I think anybody who suffers childhood trauma like that should work through it before they start having kids. Right. Um, I'm definitely of that opinion, although I'm not going around, you know, telling people not to have kids. But uh, with some, you know, being so close to me, it'll be something that I'll, you know, I'll be there for them. But right. one one point I wanted to make when you were talking about your kids um, goofing around was one of the things that I'm committed to is my kids can do whatever they want. Literally, they can do whatever they want, but I'm going to be there to help them do it safely. Mm-hmm. Once they know how to do it safely, safe to person and to property then it's it's up to them if they want to keep doing it. You know what I mean? Right. And, th- and that's it. It's like, l- let me teach you how to do it safely. And then you got it from there. So it's yeah. like you said, you're not going to let them play with knives. And I'm like, well, if. Or maybe. <laughs> yeah. If one of my kids really did, because I had a, a yeah. pocket knife when I was little, when I was in Cub Scouts and I would I would try to carve something in Whittle Wood and I would use the knife. And I, I think that's fine. If, if that's something they're interested in, then actually my son's bought like some novelty knives, you know, like at gift shops and stuff um, that he thought were pretty cool. He's, he's never really used them. They're just kind of decoration, but they're real sharp knives. And he bought those years ago. I don't know. Well, to clarify, I guess my son is a Cub Scout and he does have a pocket knife. So I guess we do let him play with knives. Yeah, it's just it's just helping them understand what, what it is, uh, if it's a tool or if it's a toy, um, right. what it's used for and how to handle it properly. You know, they right. kids don't want to just like run around, start stabbing stuff. They want to learn how to, to use it properly right. for the most part, right. I believe. So, Right. Have you um, talked to your son about trauma and dealing with trauma? Not, not really explicitly. There was an occasion a couple of years ago 
when he was he seemed like he was getting really snippy with with my daughter who's after him and me and her have a really close relationship uh, both both of my daughters too uh with me um they're you know since when they were little you know they'd play around with me jump on me and uh you know we tease back and forth just really good relationship and he was kind of getting snippy at one point i don't remember and he may have been stressed out from something else you know video games you know you get stressed out right and he would he would always like kind of attack her uh, ver- verbally that kind of thing you know right. call names that sort of thing and uh, i don't re- remember all the details but at some point i sat down with him and i'm like why are, why are you always you know giving rosie the business what what's going on there <laughs> and i i kind of went in the direction of is it because you're feeling angry towards her because you see her relationship with me and right. how close we are and with me and you early on it it was very contentious and it wasn't that way and he re- he started to tear up and get emotional mm-hmm. so i think i think that we i think i was on to something with that right and he just kind of nodded his head and then we hugged it out and stuff um so yeah, sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you can't, especially when you're young, you can't put it into words. You don't know why you might be feeling animosity towards somebody. Right. You know, you can't identify right. that. Yeah. Well, a lot of times my son will say, you know, if he's just seems more on edge that week and I'll ask him, you know, what's the deal? Just what's what's going on? And sometimes he'll tear up and just say, I don't know, because he just has no idea what's what's on his mind and what's bothering him or, or he hadn't stopped to think about it. So he doesn't know that he's really stressed about school or, or whatever it is. And, um, and that's, I think that that's really important to also make your kid stop and think about their, what it is that is the underlying issue or the underlying feeling, you know, a lot of they, those are skills that you have to learn to step back and say, wow, I am really angry. What am I angry about? What's this thing that's, you know, really stressing me out? And and we have to remind them or teach them how to do that. I, I do that with my husband. Hey, what's, whoa, what's going on up here? What's happening? Because, you know, if you weren't taught to do that as a kid and think about what the the underlying root of the of your frustration is why would you expect a kid to know how to do it? You know, you have to have to stop them. Hey, think about what's bothering you. Come back to me. Yeah. And that, that just reminds me of something else that just drives me crazy. And I think is horrible parenting practice is when a kid is experiencing or feeling these negative in air quotes, emotions, such as sadness or even anger, a lot of parents, and I, I think for them it's projection, but they'll, they'll get angry at the kid yeah. and t- and 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 try to tell the kid, oh, you're 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 okay. You're not really hurt, or you're not really sad, or that that's a dumb thing to be sad over. That's a dumb thing to be angry over. Right. And of course, again, this is just you know they're probably one of their parents coming out. Um, but it just drives me right. crazy to hear that. It's like it none of that none of that matters. Okay, whatever they're feeling, right. whatever reason, it doesn't matter. Just be a shoulder for them. Give them a hug. Let them feel through. Tell them. Emotions are important. We feel them for a reason. We evolved to have emotions for a reason. They're not, right. you're not broken because you have emotions. We have emotions. And this, I'm big right. into like stoicism and stuff. And this is another point that drives me crazy when people mis- misunderstand what stoicism is. Stoicism is not about bearing or repressing your emotions. It's about feeling your emotions, 
but not allowing them to influence, you know, important decisions that you need to make. So when you are feeling these emotions, feel them, think about them, be mindful of them, be thoughtful of them, let them run their course, and just make sure you're not making important decisions while you're under the influence of these emotions. And that's right. that's really the stoic insight. So, and I think with kids, and I think the reason that stoicism that I see is is kind of has a resurgence in so many people's lives this day and age is because they 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 didn't learn how to deal with emotions when they were little because they were shamed for having them. And so right. now it's like, oh my gosh, this new thing, emotions are important and I can I can feel them. It's like, well, and you're supposed to have them. Even. Yeah, you're supposed to it's have them. It's actually good to have them. Way to go. Something that happens in our house a lot is, um, you know, if a kid is, is upset about something that we deem stupid, and there are plenty of those, you know, yeah, you're, you're mad because you lost a fortnight or something. And, um, and, and, uh, my husband will say, you can't be mad about something. And I always turn to him and say, Yes, they can. Maybe they shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't let Fortnite ruin your day, but they can. Don't tell him he can't, you know, or don't tell her she shouldn't or she can't be worried about her My Little Pony. No, they can. We need to teach them maybe they shouldn't or let's work on how it shouldn't take over your whole day. But I do not like to tell a child how they what they can't feel and what they can't, because we're all, you know, who who has any idea what we would react to those things? And especially right now with COVID, I, I all the time say, these little people are under so much more stress than I ever was when I was eight, you know, and having to go to school, wearing a mask and not being able to have an eighth birthday party. That's the biggest thing of her year. She can't have a birthday party. And she invited people to a party we weren't even having. And she just did not understand how she couldn't have one. <laughs> and yes, that's very, very traumatic for her. Now, I loved not having to plan it. It was amazing. <laughs> but but she can be mad about that. You know, she's allowed because she's eight and she's a human. And so, we're yeah, don't tell her not to. Yeah. Yeah. It's... uh Keep working on him. He'll come around. He'll get it eventually. <laughs> he's, he's really so wonderful about it to see where, um, you know, even my sister would say stuff like after she sees some of of where he came from and uh, a wonderful family, but definitely not focused on, on emotions. My sister's like, oh, yeah, he's come a long way. <laughs> he really has. He's so, so good with them. You know, a parent, I've never seen a parent throw, throw a baseball or throw a football with kids more than that. I mean, it, it's amazing, but, um, but the emotions, we're still working on it. Yeah. Are you, um, have you ever heard of parent effectiveness training by Thomas Gordon? No. Is that something? I'll send, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, but that, that's another really good book that goes through a lot of practical solutions with with things like eye messaging and active listening and stuff like that that that's really helpful for me another one wasn't so much geared towards kids as it is geared towards towards just other humans is uh nonviolent communication by marshall rosenberg okay. is that one you've heard of okay yeah that's another really good one too 
Um, so yeah, those, those are the big ones. I think I've, I've mentioned four different parenting books, but I'll, I'll let you, I'll link to all of those. Um, okay. anyway, yeah, those are really, those are really good. Um, and your books of course look really good too. So can't wait to get that, that book and sit down with, with my girls and my son how, too. How I'm sure we'll, we'll all sit together. Um, they're, uh, she, she, so my son just turned, all their birthdays are in a, a three week period. So oh, we've perfect. gone through and then they're all right now. We've gone through two of them and I've got my, my third in a week or so. So 15, 11, and she'll be six, my youngest. So, yeah, I, um, I mostly like to, I think even if it's not about consent, um, if you, you are empowering children to know that their opinion matters and that they can ask for more to me, I feel like you are, those are lessons that are taken into finding a future mate or, or looking for a job or understanding how to look for a healthy friendship. Those are lessons that we want our children to have in every aspect of their life, having nothing to do with the sexual aspect of consent. But you are teaching your child to say, nope, I don't want to do that. And that is amazing. Telling a child at a very young age, you're allowed to say no to pretty much anything. Yeah. <laughs> is It's empowering. And and then on the reverse, teaching a child that someone can say no to you and that you don't have the right to force them or ignore that no. You know, I don't want to go back on what my husband said, but you, you can't be mad about it. Well, I mean, you can, but then, but but that person has the right and you have to teach your children how to accept the no and be fine with it. And to me, I feel like you are raising children who will be better spouses and better friends and better employees or employers. And these are just ideas that you are putting in into your parenting every day. And and really so little of what I talk about is, is uh, about a sexual issue. It is really just someone understanding that they have the right to their body and their boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a critical thing. Um, all right. Well, I think we're about an hour or so. <laughs> I'll let you go. <laughs> okay. And Perfect. thank you so much. You know, if you ever work on something in the future and you ever want to come back and have a chat, I, you know, as long as I don't know if you, you bookmark that link I sent you with the schedule, if it shows anything, then I'm still, still doing this. Um, okay. <laughs> I plan on it for the foreseeable future. I mean, I, I try to record something every day on different stuff. And once in a while I get somebody to come and have a chat with me. So it's okay. great. Yeah, that would be great. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'll link right. to your stuff and just kind of fill out the description on stuff we've talked about. And okay. that'll be it. All right. Well, have a good have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Please send your comments and questions to everythingvoluntary at gmail.com. Please consider supporting this podcast and everythingvoluntary.com by setting up an automatic monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash EBC. One-time donations are also accepted at paypal.me forward slash everythingvoluntary. Will you do us a big favor? Will you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening from? That really helps. And one more thing, please share the podcast with your friends. We really appreciate it.